0: I feel a tension between what my words can communicate about God's greatness and what he actually is and I I feel like this thing inside me wants to express the fullness of what that means, you know. Great are you, Lord. Those words by themselves coming out of my mouth seem so insufficient. Part of what we're trying to do is to magnify him. And it literally means magnification, increase, you know, 10 times magnification. We want the world to see how great he truly is. And that starts with us. How great is he in my heart? How How large is he? When I say, great is the Lord, I can only project what I believe. And that's what he's looking for. Is there a people on the earth who can truly project who I am in the earth? Because I will fill that projection with reality. That's That's what it says when he will inhabit the praises of his people. So one of the ways that we're measuring this faith journey is how much can I project of how great God is? So that when people look at my life, they go, wow, or they shrug. (laughs) It was talked about, uh, oh, Einstein. He struggled with organized religion because... He saw God as much greater than was being projected. And so he, he couldn't cope with the, the tension between what I see him to be and what you say he is by <laughs> what you're doing. It seems like different things. Father, we want to be those people that project who you really are.
1: What a beautiful presence we're in right now. For some of you, this is exactly where you need to be. Just gazing upon him and who he is. You know, as we are singing about how worthy God is, I just had this flashback, and I, I share this so often with this church, but I was just reminded again of the day that I got saved at 17 years of age right here in this church. And then the Lord reminded me, not only I got saved, but two of my best friends got saved as well that same day. And he didn't stop there. The next day, my stepdad got saved. My grandma got saved. My sister got saved. In a matter of two days, I saw a lot of hopelessness shift into hope. I watched a family line that was heading into one direction shift into an entirely new direction. Let me tell you something about today. Today I stand here and I realize in front of me is hope. I realize all around me is hope. That same hope that appeared that day is right here in front of us. The hope that you need is the hope of the cross. The hope that you need is Jesus. You know, Cam shared a vision, and I want him to come up just to share this vision because I feel like there's something available to you right now. So what I saw was if you've ever walked through an orchard and you see the the tree branches laden with fruit and I remember being as a kid being they're, they're so far up You don't have to climb the tree or get a ladder or whatnot, but then what I saw was the boughs started to lower down They were moving down They were getting lower to the ground for low-hanging fruit because I was seeing there's people that are weary They're tired. They're they're depressed whatever they just couldn't get their hands up and so the boughs were lowering So we're in a moment here where the fruits of the Spirit are available. If you're out of faith, the boughs are lowering. If you're out of hope, the branches are getting nearer. It's within reach. That's what I'm seeing. So let's just take another minute here. I know some of you are in this room right now and you're saying, I need something. Those branches have been bent down by the Lord. Just reach out to Him. So let's take another 30 seconds to a minute. Whatever you need, just begin to ask him for that. There is hope in front of you. There is hope all around you. I'm asking you to reach for it. I just see right now, some of you are thinking of your kids. Father, we call them back. Can we call the prodigals in? God, right now, we call the prodigals in in Jesus' name. Father, those ones that are on our heart, right now, Father, we call them in in Jesus' name. Those sons and daughters, Father, that are straight today, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would woo them in, that you would speak to them, that you would draw them in the name of Jesus Christ. There is healing available for your bodies right now. I see it upon some of you, healing for depression, healing for whatever sickness is in front of you. It's right here. It's right in front of you. Begin to grab onto it. There's financial breakthrough, begin to ask, and he's going to come, he's going to move. That's who he is, that's what he does. Do we believe that today, church? Do we believe that today, church? That's who we're singing to. The one that will come and save, shift, transform, equip, he will do whatever is needed. That's who he is. Amen. Let's welcome Pastor Mark.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So much, so much we could say. You know, um, just uh, with reference to the thing I said uh, here about uh, Brad and his family as they're going, there was a time when Jesus, he just knew that it wasn't his time. He knew it wasn't his time. I want to make a confession to you. I never knew when it wasn't my time. (laughs) Jesus knew when it wasn't his time. And and so he when he he did a miracle, like he was doing miracles at the time, and he and he says to the people, Tell no one. (laughs) Don't tell anybody. Right? Because it's not my time. And and he was he was quite at ease with that. Of course, he he knew what his time would mean. He knew that he would have no rest. I mean, once these really started to ramp up in his ministry, tens of thousands of people sought for him all the time. If you start reading through the Gospels, the demand on Jesus was so intense. Like I'm sure, you know, introvert or extrovert, he was craving for quiet time. And uh, but here's the confidence he had that we often don't have. It's that it's that if God is showing you to people, you won't be missed, and so you don't need to promote yourself. You don't need to tell you everybody how important you are to the work of God. You, like there was an, a willingness to walk in the level of visibility that God was presently provided. I want to say to you this that that if you feel you have a call to be a missionary to to go to places or to be something that's visible, you might have, you know, and there's some people that don't have visible ministries and there's others that do. But if you feel you have a visible ministry, the Bible says wait on your ministry. Wait. Uh, and and don't step out prematurely. Uh, honestly, and we joke about it sometimes. But my bent was always stepping out prematurely. In fact, one of the first significant prophetic words that I got about being released into ministry was a, from a guy named Eddie Trout from South Africa at Joseph Storehouse before it was Joseph Storehouse, and uh, and he he said this. He said he said uh, you've stepped out prematurely. <laughs> But but now has come the time for me to release you. <laughs> you know, and it's not like God is flipping mad. You know, it's not like he's, well, that guy, I'm going to toast and roast him. I'm going to fix his wagon. You know, he, God's got a way to to frustrate our ambitions. and And that's part of the work. That's like you need to know. I don't need this kind of labor from you, Mark. There's being diligent and being faithful, and then there's striving. To you, they're the same, but to me, they're very different and part of the journey is that I would divide between these two things and one of those things was every time I got frustrated that I wasn't getting the visibility that the prophetic words said I was going to get because I had lots of prophetic words about visibility when I was frustrated and faulting people for not fully acknowledging me that's that's the thing that God put his finger on and so watch for that Wait on your time. Know that God, God, promotion comes from the Lord. It says in Psalm 75. He takes one down and he puts another up. Who does it? He does it. Who does it? He does it. And, uh, and so accept the level of anonymity that you have. Then you'll be ready for maybe some level of fame. Uh, I want to talk about the source of offense. And one of the sources of offense that we have is we don't agree with God. We don't agree with his value system. We don't agree with the people that he anoints. We don't agree with his choice for promotion. And, uh, and, and I mean, this plays out in many different ways. But one of the ways it plays out that is significant is you have people and I'll say, like Kim, who walk with a limp, <laughs> and and if you if you know Kim, and if you if you know me, if you know others who have persevered, one of the things you're going to find in those lives is a certain level of audacity. And and it's it's audacity. Ben has some of that, <laughs> right? And so, what what is that? It's uh, audaciousness is to others it's a presumption it's like, it's like you always think you're qualified you always think you're right you always think you're the, right, the candidate for the moment but you know what everyone that got something from the Lord significant was like that I want you to think about the woman with the issue of blood right I mean why didn't she just stand at the back of the line and wait her turn Right? Why, why didn't she just quietly wait? I mean, if it's God's will to heal her, she would be healed, right? Isn't that the way it goes? I mean, if, if if God knows where I am, and I'm standing here in the back corner, and some of us have done that, we're standing in the back corner, and we're being faithful, and we're doing the right things, and we're doing all the quiet things, and we're thinking, God, notice, because I have this need, notice, I have this need, come and, come and touch me, notice me. And God is saying, I want you to be audacious. Faith has audacity. It, it presumes it qualifies. Come on. Something in that is very distasteful to a cross-section of this room. <laughs> because you, you, you look at these people and you think, well, but they're so flawed. They're so flawed. But that's what faith does. Faith says God's greater than my flaws. Faith said God's mercy looks beyond what's wrong with me and God is there to help me. And so why wouldn't I lean in and grab a hold and presume? I mean, your kids, when they're confident and when they're secure, they don't sit back and wait till you offer them ice cream. Right?
1: They just they ask you over
0: and over and over, and what you have to say is, You have asked me one more time, you're going to bed. Right? But the brutalized, poverty-stricken, abused children are the ones that hide in a corner and and they've learned, you know, that I I dare not. So is that the kind of children that God is raising? No, he's he's raising ones who presume. God likes me best. (laughs) Yeah. The guys who broke through the roof... Blind Bartimaeus, right? What makes you think you're so important? There's all kinds of needs all over the place. Who are you? Who are you to do this? Now, is there, does God do it any other way? Does God find broken people and come and touch them without. Yes, He does that. But here's the thing why wait if there's an opportunity to qualify when it appears by all the evidence that you're not qualified? Anyway, I can I can feel the discomfort in the room. Um, but there's a call to overcome offense. And for some of us, the offense is what you perceive as arrogance. Let me just say this. Maybe you're not a good judge. And I talked about this a few weeks ago because... We don't know and we don't understand what God is really looking for. And so watch those who get things from God and try and do some of the things that they do. Yeah, but uh, it's, it's so presumptuous. I, who am I to? Well, that's where it starts right there. Who am I? What sounds are you listening to that keep telling you who are you? As though God had a limited amount of blessings to give out. Right? I mean, there's, there's so many layers to this. But we have to overcome. And I want to talk in a few minutes here a little bit about John the Baptist. But we need to first realize that this journey of faith that we're on, that we're, we're actually incrementally going somewhere. You know when you go to when you send your kids to school or when you first went to school and you started kindergarten, obviously, and you go grades one through twelve. You know the the increments towards uh, graduation are are laid out numerically and it's very clear going from grade one to grade two to grade three to grade four to grade five. Well, do you know that God has an intention, an incremental intention to bring you into maturity, bring you into what you're called to be as a son of God, and it's actually, there, there's, there's actually a very clear path for you to come up into. Now, he might not have numbered it, one through 12, and some of those things are sort of invisible, they're opaque, we, we can't see them clearly, but there is a very clear path there is a very clear promotional line that God has for you. And I've referenced at times past the feeling of coming into promotion. I don't want, I don't want to say with, because I could spend the whole morning here talking about it, but it, it's such a significant thing. Because I used to think promotion or favor was accidental until something shifted in my heart, and then God gave me something, and I thought, wow, is there a relationship between that and that? Absolutely. So the question is, what are you being, what is God trying to break you through right now that inhibits you from graduating? It's not, it's not accidental. It's very specific. It's, It's accidental if you don't understand the system. Like when I was in Boy Scouts, right, we used to get these badges, and I didn't understand this. I was in Cubs and Boy Scouts, right? And all of a sudden, one day, they said, hey, here's your whatever badge. I think, wow, this is great. I mean, I don't know how I crossed that line, but and I, I assume it was just sort of this random thing. They were rolling the dice, and it was, my number came up. That's how we think promotion is in heaven. It isn't like that. It's very specific. Now, there's some things you're called to and some things you're not. So promotion might look different for all of us, but there's always promotion. Always. And it's only accidental if you don't know the system. And I, it was stunning to me when I one day realized, what, there's a book that tells you how to get these badges? <laughs> you mean, and you could actually read that and fulfill the requirements and get the badges? And that, I, I was stunned. I saw all these guys with a sash full of badges. I think, well, how'd you get all those? <laughs> like, you know, that's a lot of winning. <laughs> if chance is the, the magical part of the equation, then you are a really lucky guy. And my friend told me, well, no, you, you, can, you can work towards this. Work towards them? What? <laughs> Father, open our eyes to realize that promotion can be right in front of us. And it's not based on others. It's not based on what others have gotten. It's not John, Peter thought, thought, you know, his promotion was based on what John didn't get. So he was jealous that John was getting, Father, free us. Now, the part of this that I want to sort of lean into a bit uh, comes around this issue of light. Let me read a couple of passages. There's one here in Second Thessalonians. This is a great passage because there is a baseline of loves, things we should love, and there are some loves that are more important than others. Okay, I mean there there's just something some values. And this is what I was talking about a couple of weeks ago. There's some values that certain people have that are rare values, but God values them more because they're rare. And so when he said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, it's because Esau's were a dime a dozen. Esau was a man's man, and he had the favor of his father, but he didn't have the favor of God. So that means, what does that mean? That means Esau's father had a value system that was not equivalent to God's. So that when he's looking at his sons, he was thinking, this is the chosen one, and he was wrong. Samuel was wrong. Samuel's father, when he gathered his sons, he didn't even put David in the lineup. He was so sure, it could not be him. Right, so let's, you know, let's stop entertaining the idea, I know what God loves Right? No, no, no. You love what you love, and you're sure God's like you. That's our default. I mean, that's that's the rebuke that God gave to the to the all of Israel. He said, "You thought I was altogether like you." Yeah, that's a big mistake to make. (laughs) We do love ourselves, right? You know, people say, "Well, yeah," but some people have self hatred. Yeah. It's the self hatred that really loves itself. I mean in Ephesians it says no man has ever hated himself. That's a mystery. But anyway, Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse nine says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders. In other words, you know, the the Antichrist is coming and he's going to put on a light show of spectacular demonstrations of power. And uh, he's going to come with all righteous deception among those who perish. In other words, he's going to fool a lot of people and all the people that are lost are going to be lost because they were fooled. That those two things go together. The inability to recognize this is not the right spirit Cause that causes them to perish. But it says because. Because. How do why did they perish? Why did they embrace the lawless one? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. The love of the truth. God has constructed a series of tests in our lives. Determine to determine whether we love the truth. Now, what we discover is we love aspects of the truth, certain hues of the truth, certain cultural expressions of the truth because they agree with parts of what we we are right now. And that's why we, we favor those things. And that was, that's what I was talking about a couple weeks ago. You know, diligent people love diligence and prize diligence in a way far beyond what God prizes it. Does God like diligence? Absolutely. But it's not the most important feature. But usually what happens is we think the most important feature is the one that we do well. And we're like, well, you know, I'm not the best Christian, but I do this great. That's what Tiggers do best. I love that statement. But the baseline is this, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So here's what God has done. Is he, is he's, he, has, he has dispersed that light into men throughout the earth, into his kingdom to test us as to whether we also like that light. Now, this might get a little complex. I'm trying to keep it simple. There's this great passage in Ephesians, and I remember years ago spending months and months, in fact, everywhere I went I preached on this, but I just love it. It's, it's a kingdom statute, a precept, by which we can measure and, and evaluate our whole lives. Listen to this. Here's the principle. Ephesians 5, 13. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light for whatever makes manifest is light I want you to think about this. There's two parts to that the first is this the nature of light is that it exposes and the second part says if anything is ever exposed it was the light that did it that defeats two lies. One of the lies is that darkness exposes. Darkness cannot expose. Light exposes. <laughs> That's a really important feature of your life. Because for me, I could say this. There were countless times when I I was exposed by God. And by exposed I mean this. The deep things that were in my heart began to spill out in a moment. And I, my response was that darkness caused this to be exposed, to come to the surface. (laughs) Now, the principle is this. Light is what brings things to the surface and exposes them. So when uh, when you're married to a particularly annoying person who's always doing things that are particularly annoying... You can say it's it's if you weren't so dark if you weren't so evil if you weren't so flawed I would be better. Wow. The Bible says that's a lie. Wow. The light makes manifest. So here's how the Lord has done it. He has given us each a a measure of light and that as you grow in your faith, that light increases. So what happens is, is we say, Oh, I love God, but I struggle with his people. I want, you to, I, want, I, want, I want you to hear what you're saying when you're saying that. Now, some people like cilantro, and some people don't like cilantro. Well, let's just use cilantro as an example. If you, uh, if you don't like cilantro... That means if a little bit is sprinkled on your salad or something that you're making, some dumpling or whatever, some, some Mexican food, all right, it's not going to get better if you get a lot of it. You know, I, I, I don't like cilantro, but if you put a lot of it on, it's better. <laughs> I could feel the confusion in the room. I, I could feel God punching into hearts right now, but this is the core thing that he 's dealing he 's dealing with the darkness that is in our hearts. Jesus was trying to explain this to his disciples because you know he, the Pharisees were all about the law, and Jesus was not really obeying the law according to their designs. And so at one point they're in the fields, they're plucking the heads of grain because they're hungry, and the Pharisees get mad at them, say, "You guys, you are lawless, blah 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 blah." Jesus gives this explanation from scripture, says, "Hey, have you ever heard when David did this and ate the showbread, it's not lawful for him to do? You don't understand the law." Right? And he says to the disciples, and he says to the Pharisees, he says he says it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of a man that defiles him. That that was a revolutionary spiritual paradigm. We we talk about it today as though it's just, you know, oh, yeah. But that was revolutionary. That was absolutely revolutionary. And so, of course, he says that to the Pharisees. They don't understand, but the disciples didn't understand later. So after they said, can you explain this to us a little? Like He's like, what? Don't you understand this? How long must I bear with you? And he explains it more thoroughly. He said, and this is the pivotal point, the things that defile us are what come out of our heart. They come out of our heart because they're already there. They're already there. And what God is trying to do is cleanse it. But what we're trying to do is feel righteous. And so we we that makes us look bad when you know the overflow of wickedness comes. So we're we're like, no, nah, yeah, that that was only because uh, I didn't eat yet. I'm hypoglycemic. Well, I I have a really hard week. I'm tired. I I didn't get much sleep last night because usually evil desires and rage never comes out of me. It's not mine. Must be yours. Your darkness infused into me and came out of my mouth. You made me fill in the blank. I, I love that principle. And, and, and you know, I, I can't say I have 100% embraced that in the practical nature of my life, but I've tried. And, and I've been anchored, tethered to that truth so that it has not permitted me to stray very far and that was, that's really been the secret of embracing God's dealings in my life. So 1 John 1, 5 says, this is the message that we had heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so we're on a trajectory where we're going towards absolutely pure light. And from a distance, like, you know, looking at the sun and the stars, they're beautiful. But up close, they burn. Up close, light burns. So when you draw near to an anointed ministry, and then you get offended because they're not what you thought they were, and you're going to the street, church down the street, then the church down the street, and, you know, that's the cycle of your life. You think, well, there's just too much darkness in those churches, and that's why I am offended. No, no, no. You're not offended by darkness. You're offended by light. You just don't know it. Hello? Yes, Come on, guys. So, here's what God has done. He's, he's given us, he's concealed light behind imperfection, behind, behind manifestations of, of personality and preferences that, that cause us to struggle. You know, uh, <laughs> no, I won't talk about that. It'll take too long. Let me let me let's let's turn to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, you know, obviously we know he was amazing. But there is this passage where Jesus is speaking about John the Baptist and it's and he's he's saying, "Listen, um, John the Baptist is not received by the religious Jewish community, and that was wrong." And he gives a parable to explain the dichotomy of him versus John the Baptist. It's very important that you listen to this carefully. John the Baptist and Jesus were not the same. In fact, you couldn't be more polar opposite. All right? Yet both represented the same light, the same kingdom, the same anointing, the same spirit, the same father. So... He says, Jesus speaking to them and rebuking them, he says, but what shall I like in this generation? How to what shall I like in this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, we have played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a winebibber, a friend of tax collectors and, and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Now, we, we know this passage, and we know that this is the challenge. We, we know there's this dichotomy. Well, that dichotomy is still alive today. There are tensions between the expressions of light on the earth that are designed expressly for you to be outraged. Wow. Or, or according to the word here, scandalized. The word for offend is actually the word um, scandalizo. Scandalizo. And it's a stumbling block. It causes people to stumble, but it really has to do with being s- scandalized. When, when Jesus said things that were unpalatable, people were scandalized that he was saying or doing certain things. Now, John the Baptist came with one expression, and he's like he's fasting all the time. He's in the wilderness. He's living this stoic lifestyle, right? And, uh, and he's called by God, he has this life of the supernatural. He sees Jesus. He baptizes Jesus. He, he, you know, the God witnesses to him. This is to Christ. And imagine what this must have been like for John. He's like, all right, you know, I'm the first in this line, but I've prepared the way for him. But then everything changes because he was called to live the right life of a, of a Nazarite, Right, he was. He had particular vows. You don't drink. You're fasting all the time. You're, you know, it's a life of hardship and suffering. Lo, eating honey and locusts. And then Jesus comes along, and according to his own description, is doing the polar opposite. John is saying, hey, you know, you sinners, come and repent. And he's not hanging out with any of the sinners. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes along. He's going to parties. He's going to the houses of Gentile sinners. I mean, he's, he's with, he's touching sinners. He's letting them touch him. This woman who's a prostitute is kissing his feet. Come on. That's a little scandalous yeah right imagine how that must have been for John right it's like really because John he, it wasn't like he was God you know we think sometimes that prophets just know everything no he wasn't God he's watching this unfold and like did I get the wrong guy like down at the river I mean, let me play this again in my mind like, okay, well, there was two people standing there. Maybe the dove was on the guy behind him. (laughs) Because I'm struggling with this. (laughs) I'm struggling, because I thought he would be like me. How hard would that be for John the Baptist? Oh, man, harder than you can imagine. So the end of it is this, in Matthew 11, verse 1 to 6, it says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed then from there to teach and preach into the cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Are you the one that should come, or should we look for another? What is that? That's offense. I expected this to be different. I expected this to play out in a total I'm I'm ready to give my life. I'm I'm not, I'm, I'm not upset that I'm in prison, but why aren't you in prison? Why are you drinking wine and going and going to all these feasts and you know getting all this like gosh? God loves to do stuff like that. Loves it. So when Jesus is prophesying to Peter, he says, yeah, pretty soon you're going to be in prison. You're going to be taken and, you know, blindfolded and killed. In him? <laughs> what about your favorite? <laughs> First thing he does, like, you know, he better be getting at least as bad. <laughs> Like, I hope he suffers also. (laughs) Jesus said, What is that to you? Follow me. So, what's going on here? The light is not always as detectable as you think it is. The light, God is lighted in him and there's no darkness at all, but the nature of light is that it offends. It's designed to offend. And what he's saying here, whether you put it in this caricature of the John the Baptist or you put it in the caricature of the Jesus, it's offensive. They, the, the, the religious system didn't like either of them. And we accept that. But then when John, struggling with Jesus, it's like, John, what's the matter with you? to which we say to the body of Christ, what's the matter with you? Right? I mean, the continuous offense that people are not more like me is what's at the heart of it. Yeah, I I may not be flawed, but Jesus is more like me than he is like you. And you know what? Fair enough. He might be like you in certain ways, more than me and that's given to me to struggle with but he's hid his light in earthen vessels because if you don't like a little bit of light you're not going to like a lot When you see a flawed servant of God, what you see is a little bit of light and you think what's offending me is the darkness, it's not the darkness that's offending you, it's the light. Darkness makes you feel better about yourself. Right? It's like, you know, it's like, uh, I'm trying to give a suitable example. (laughs) Let me put it this way. When you have one guy at work working ten times as hard as everybody else, is he well-liked? <laughs> right? But, and everybody, you know, nobody said, well, you're, you're working too hard. They won't go to the boss and say, this guy's working too hard, boss. You need to get rid of him. But they'll go to the boss with, yeah, but, he, you know, he just doesn't do it right. He doesn't really follow orders. He's not, you know, obeying our example. Everything but noticing the light that's offending me. He's working too hard, making me look bad. Now, this may seem confusing, but, but when, you, when something spills out of you and you're annoyed at somebody, right? You think you're annoyed at a particular behavior, but you're annoyed at light. Now, you've got to take that at face value. And that's why I shared Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13, because we need to know that this is the nature of what light does. Well, here's what happens with John the Baptist. He asked the question, do we look for another? And Jesus answered them and said, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, he already knew this. Yeah, but I didn't expect this other, sorry, this other stuff. Like, this is the criteria that you know the Messiah should bring, and you're still questioning, Why? well this is what Jesus' last words are about John and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me the greatest prophet and and Jesus says he's the greatest prophet but he's now at least in the kingdom I don't know what That means in its totality. And I'm not going to apply anything to him. But I think think it's significant that he doubted Jesus, that he was offended at the lifestyle of Jesus, and then that Jesus said he's the least in the kingdom. All I know is this, for sure. I want to deal with my own heart so how do I know how do I know if it's light I'm dealing with or darkness what's coming out of you that's all that matters not what do they do what's your response right what, do you resent that person you look down at them can i'm not going to try to elaborate and break this down more but there's a spirit of conviction of the holy spirit on this room and we need to embrace this if we need to embrace, let this light penetrate and go into our hearts because all of these little tensions that come up in our relationships in churches they are a manifestation of darkness not light not their darkness, our darkness. My inability to love you, my inability, you see, this is what I discovered, and I'll go this, this far, is that when I have struggled with things, when I have stumbled, when I have had weakness, and somebody else comes to me with weakness, if I already know that I'm equally prone as them, there's a humility in that, and I don't condemn them. I'm in a position to encourage them because I know exactly what's that, what that's like, because I actually have come through that. I mean, the one with the beam in their eye is always looking at the speck in their own eye. Doesn't that seem unnatural? The one with the speck in their eye, they don't condemn the one with the beam because I was there. Light is now working in them to a degree that I don't have to condemn you. You need encouragement. You need love. You need, you need help. And I'm going to walk with you. And yet we come along and we find people who are anointed. I'm not talking about people who are in known sins like, well, that pastor is sleeping with everybody in the church, you know, that, that's wrong. Yes, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about human flaws. He did not put the same kind of importance on, on Wednesday night prayer as I would. He, he didn't do home groups. Like home groups are the lifeblood of the church and he's not even doing home groups. And He doesn't pray as much as me and he's, he's driving the wrong car. I saw him drink a glass of wine. He was out. He was out at a restaurant in public with sinners. With people that I disapprove of. People who are less good Christians than me and I have a little thing with. You know, don't hang around with them. If you really God, if you really love God and you're walking in light, you won't hang around with them because I got a problem with them. Yes, you are the measure of light. <laughs> you see how we do this? Layers and layers, and we're saying, we see God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. I think my focus needs to be getting more light getting more light, getting more light. That's what's available right in front of us, but we spend all of our energy trying to justify ourselves. Meanwhile, we're reading scripture that says, Jesus didn't like that. Father, free us. I'm telling you, there is coming a generation of people who are going to lay hold of this, this message of the gospel. This is the message of the gospel, and they are going to run. They are going to hold themselves accountable to light. They are going to hold their hearts accountable on a scale that you cannot even imagine. And we could talk about revival. We could talk about signs and wonders. We could talk about things that are coming, but we will not participate in it if we don't lay hold of the primary basics of this message. No matter how charismatically enthusiastic we are. Because the most important thing is that you embrace the light. So, Father, let's stand up together. Father, thank you that you are the author of light. Lord, you are bringing clarity and cleansing shifting our lives and we invite you holy spirit father give us today a sense of the inner working of what it feels like when light is burning away at the residual darkness of our heart
1: okay and before we pray this is key is god i repent where i've held on to offense just just say that in your heart. God, I repent where I'm tempted to hold on to this. I lay it down at the altar right now. And as I say this, I am just as tempted as you are. I want to hold on to it sometimes. Sometimes it feels good to hold on to it. But it's like poison entering your body. And it slowly begins to grow and creates bitterness and resentment. It will weigh you down and eventually take you out. So the value in repenting is this, becoming free. So Father, before we pray, we all once again just say, we repent where we've held on to offense in Jesus' name. We repent where we've had bitterness in our hearts, resentment in our heart. God, today, we lay that down in Jesus' name. So we're going to pray for everybody. If you do need to leave, bless you in Jesus' name. Bless you. Amen.